Brother Glover. And I want to add to that story. Not long after that, a hurricane by the name of Katrina and another one by the name of Rita showed up in Louisiana, devastated our state. I mean devastated the southern portion of our state completely. And the people of Hoon, Alaska turned around and sent an offering back to Louisiana to help rebuild churches. I used to love to hear Paul Harvey and he would say that's the rest of the story. What a delight it is for me to be here with y'all in Alaska tonight. I, uh, I have so enjoyed it. Brother Parrish was absolutely correct. I got down on my hands and knees nearly begging that they would ask me to come do the district conference. had no idea that I'd wind up preaching at camp meeting as well. I just wanted to come and be with you people and see this gorgeous state. And I've already figured out it's going to be tough on some of you to get to heaven because you've got a whole lot of it right here. That's right. I'm... Uh, Got to take that out. I I don't have a wife any longer. She used to be my stopwatch. So I'm going to try this tonight and see how that works. And you really hope that thing works. Because <laughs> I know some of you's biggest fear tonight is how long is he going to preach. <laughs> I'm happy Brother Steve Judd came in. Amen. Wonderful friend. <clears throat> Now that I'm in the pulpit, Sister Irma Judd, wave your hand. These are wonderful, wonderful people. And they are not only the president of Tupelo Children's Mansion, but anything else that needs to be done at Tupelo Children's Mansion, they've got a willing heart. And they are wonderful people. I'm so glad all these preachers are on the platform tonight. And uh, that's right. And is I was looking around. Is Brother and Sister Abbott here tonight? They were here last night. They may be here. There's there's Sister Abbott. They're letting us stay in their beautiful place down there on that one of those rivers. I've already forgot the name of it, but it's all pretty. I'm on one of those rivers. I forget which one it is. And it's gorgeous. Again, I have to say that how much I enjoyed Brother Glover, Glover I've got to say it right, taking us fishing yesterday. My goodness, found out. I've wondered, everybody up here knows how to do everything, and I like that. That's right. He pilot a plane and teach school and commercial fishermen and you name it, he'd done it all. And I loved it. But nothing I enjoy better than being here in worship. Last night when Brother Parrish preached, you've got to have that vision. Oh, what a beautiful message. And this morning, 
Brother Sistrunk telling us about those foundational families. I've, I, I've just harvested so much out of that message. Made me feel so better. And then we heard Brother Churchill talking about some wasted years. Even got on a song that I knew the words of, Brother Churchill. <laughs> and then Brother Monty Walter, my. When you just exalt the name of Jesus like he did, something's going to give. That's for sure. So we've, we've already been blessed. If you turn in your Bibles, I've already wasted according to that. That's not a waste, but I've already spent three minutes. And I don't want to go until noon tonight. I hope you caught what I said. I'm amazed that I love this daylight and I love this cool weather. I saw some of you fanning. All I can say is come next week to Louisiana camp and get you an electric fan or something because you're going to need it. (laughs) Open your Bibles if you have them tonight to the book of Exodus chapter 16. And I hope that God is pleased with what I feel like that he wants me to try to say tonight. But I specifically ask him, Lord, you just take over, and I hope he does. In Exodus chapter 16, I'll begin reading in verse 4, and I'm going to skip some verses, saving a little time, but the Bible said in 16 and 4, the Lord said unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate, every day that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. Verse number 14, it said, And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing as small as a hoarfrost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. Verse number 31. And the house of Israel called the name thereof, now we got a capital on it, manna. And it was like coriander seed, white. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Verse 35. And the children of Israel did eat manna 40 years. And the children of Israel did eat manna 40 years until they came to a land inhabited. They did eat manna until they came to the borders of the land of Canaan. Numbers chapter 11 and verse 7. This is what it says. I'm not going to read it, but it simply says that manna was as coriander seed, the color of bdellium. Let's pray right now. God, we have read your word and we're anticipating what your spirit's going to do in this house tonight. I can't do anything unless you do it. And so I ask you, Lord, in your kindness, just to shovel it in on us tonight. Pour it out from heaven, God, and we'll accept what you have and let truth come forth here tonight. We'll give you honor for it in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Amen. You may be seated. 
And I'm sure that many of you, when you heard me read that, realized that I'm going to be talking about bread from heaven. And no one in here likes bread any better than I do. I love bread. I was raised, my mother made such delicious homemade bread and yeast rolls and all kinds of pastries, and it shows. I loved it. And yet, Jesus said he was the, somebody say it, the bread of life. I'm glad that we know that. I want to talk to you, though, about this manna for a little bit and let you understand that if there's anything in life you better trust, it's the Word of God. That's right. I am convinced if the Word of God says it, I don't care what scientific principle is out there that says differently, that the Word of God is correct. And if you ever happen to be reading through the Word, and this happens to me quite often, and I'll read something and it's like, well, that doesn't make sense with what I read over here. Am I the only guy in here that ever does that or am I the only one that ever admits it? And I have found out that if you rightly divide the Word of God, if you begin to put it together, it'll start making sense. And I just believe it just like it says it. The Bible said, the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven. I know what I'd have been doing. I'd have been out there looking up in the sky, making sure a loaf didn't hit me in the head. That's what I'd have been doing. That's what the Lord said. I'm going to rain bread from heaven. Now, it didn't happen the way I thought it was going to happen. But if I'd have read that, just back up. That's right. Some of you may have heard of Brother D.O. Welch. He pastored nearly 60 years in Pensacola, but he preached all over everywhere. Somebody here was talking about Brother Gamblin last night as their pastor. Who was that? Or this morning then, Brother Sistrunk. Brother Gamblin and Brother Welch preached all over everywhere. But Brother Welch was raised in Louisiana, and he told a story one time. I know a lot of them, and I love telling them, but he said, he and his daddy had gone out coon hunting. All they had was a single shot twenty-two, a little old light that wasn't very bright way back yonder. I mean, we're talking way back yonder. And the coon dogs got some coons treed up in the tree, and his daddy shined a light up there, a little headlight thing he had, and he looked, and he could see one eye. He had one shell in that twenty-two, and he shot. And sure enough, he hit it. And he heard that thing start tumbling down. He said, son, go over there and pick that coon up. He went over to pick it up. They heard something else come tumbling through the branches. He said, back up a minute, bud. The second coon fell and hit the ground. He said, son, go get those coons. Before he could start over there to get them, they heard something else tumbling down out of those branches. One shot. A third coon hit the ground. His daddy said, son, you better back up. By daylight, we're going to be knee deep in coons around here. (laughs) 
So when I read that, that's kind of my picture. You know, if you want wheat bread or raisin bread, no, no, no. The Bible said it, that it rained bread from heaven, but the strange thing was it came of a morning like the dew that lay on the ground. And, and the Bible said, and I read it to you, it was a little small round thing and it was white and they didn't really know what it was. Tasted like wafers made with honey. That sounds good to me. I like honey and I like wafers. So, you know, maybe it was something like a vanilla wafer. I'm not sure. They weren't either. They called it manna. So I'm reading through there and it said they ate it for 40 years and I believed all that. Until I got over in the book of Numbers, chapter 11, it said manna was as a coriander seed, the color of, I'm not even sure if I say that word right, ask Dr. Bradbury, but I'd call it debellium. That's the way it looks. So I did what any ignorant person does. I got on Wikipedia. And I said, I'm going to find out what bedellium is. Because the Bible said it was the color of bedellium. And they said on Wikipedia that bedellium is the color of candied dates or raisins. And I was in a mess. Because I'm telling you, Exodus 16, 31 says it was like coriander seed. Numbers 11, 7 says that. Exodus 31 says it was white. Numbers 11 and 7 says the color of bedellium. And Wikipedia said. I don't know what bedellium is. I don't know for sure. I got a feeling it's a mineral, but I'm not even sure of that. But it said it's the color of candy dates. And I've eaten them and I like them too. And it says the color of raisins. And I definitely know what raisins are. And they're not white. And I had a problem. So I started saying, Lord, there must be an answer. And you know what? I began to dig into it. And I found out. You see, this is what I said before. The Bible's always right. The ancient Jewish writers called bedellium. It was a different substance that they called bedellium. And I found out that what they called bedellium was a some kind of a mineral or gem or whatever that the, their writings say it was the color of a pearl. Anybody know what color a pearl is? Oh, I felt so better because the Bible was right again. So when I got to it, it said that the reason God sent that down there because the children of Israel were grumbling. We wish we had something to eat We'd rather be back in Egypt sitting by the flesh pots. What they were saying, we'd rather be a slave and have something to eat than be out here and not have anything. Now they hadn't been gone that long. It's only about four chapters ago that they got out of there. I can tell you this, I don't know of any miracle in the Bible that amazes me more than the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. There's some powerful miracles in there. But I'm telling you, that one right there ranks at least in my top five. You get out there and see a Red Sea roll back. And you walk across on dry ground. 
I, I, I drove down here. What was the name of that place that had all that mud, Brother Blackshear? Turnigan Arm. And I saw that mud out there because the tide was out, and I thought, I could get hurt out there real quick. <laughs> Brother Blackshear told me people have lost their lives thinking they could get in that mud. Now, if that's just from the sea being in there half the time, how about if you're on the bottom of the sea that's been there all the time until right now? I'm telling you, that's a miracle to walk across on dry ground. I love the people that explain the Bible away. They said, well, they went through that area that's only about six inches deep. If that's the case, then how did Pharaoh's army get stuck running in chariots and drown in six inches of water? I'm telling you, you can stand upon the Word of God. So God said, I don't like them grumbling. I don't like them complaining. I don't think he still likes them grumbling. Can I tell you why it is? It's the same reason that when you're in the church and the world starts looking good again, you got a problem. When Egypt starts looking better than the, I'm going to tell you something. I don't know of a better way to live than to live for God in a righteous and a pure and a holy life. There's not a better life that you can live. Woo. So God said, I'll send them manna. I'm going to give them something to eat. Now here's what's amazing about it. The Bible said for the next 40 years, it sustained them. They ate the same thing 40 years. <laughs> I was telling Brother Showalter today, I still hadn't thought of the name of that place, but there's a wonderful restaurant in New Orleans that when you go there, you got to have a lot of room on your credit card. And I took my wife there for a special occasion one time, probably an anniversary. I really don't remember, a birthday or something. And whoo, their food is unbelievably good. I've never eaten any better food, I don't suppose, than what I ate in that restaurant that night. I've eaten some that was just as good maybe, but never any better. It was fixed, served, everything just right. And Brother Showalter made the statement, those kind of places you only go on a special occasion. You don't just drop in there like you run through a McDonald's. You understand what I'm saying? Because it hits your pocketbook real hard. But there's something, or there should be something about you that when it's your anniversary time, you want to take your wife out and do something right. I, I, I mean that. <laughs> Can you imagine... Somebody must be having an anniversary over there, and that's all they'll hear for the rest of the night. <laughs> but can you imagine being out there in the wilderness? You're at about year 22, and it's your anniversary. Hon, I want to take you out to eat tonight. Where are we going to go? We're going to go down here to Hezekiah's Cafe. Oh, really? What are we going to have to eat? Well, we'll eat manna. <laughs> all ahead. <laughs> 
Can you imagine having a birthday party and inviting everybody over to your birthday party? Oh, great, we're going to bring prizes and this and that and the other. Well, what's going to be for food? They didn't have to ask. It's manna. What you going to have for breakfast? Manna. What you got for lunch? Manna. What are you eating for supper? Same thing we had last night. Leftovers? No, it won't keep. Because the Bible said about this manna stuff, you go out and gather enough for you and your family this morning. Don't get too much. Some of them didn't believe it. I'm telling you, when you read the Word of God, you just got to believe it. They didn't believe it. And so they gathered too much and it rotted on them. But on day six, you gather twice as much. Because tomorrow is not going to be out of any of it out there. And what you gather today, you're going to eat tomorrow. And I hear one of them say, oh, it'll be rotten. I'm not touching it. But there was a little change between that day and the other days. The recipe had a little more preservative added to it because it made it two days. But not three. And yet the Bible said, and we've got Bible scholars on this platform. The Bible said they gathered up a, a pot full of it. And they put it in that beautiful Ark of the Covenant. And here's what the Scripture said. It's there to this day. That's well preserved. Now that's the way the Scripture put it. So it didn't rot. My subject to you tonight is this. Do you have a recipe for manna? I have a feeling if I came to your home, I'm probably not going to find on any of your recipe books, here's how to fix manna. I, I just doubt it. Maybe you've got a special recipe book that you work out of. Flip through there real quick. Oh, I know what some of you are going to do. You're already on the internet. You've got your handy little phone out because I'm preaching and you're getting bored. And you're going to say, I'm going to prove to him there's a recipe for manna on the internet. I don't think you'll find it. Because the Bible said that when the children of Israel ate it 40 years, they came into Canaan and God said, that's it. It ceased. It stopped. I read one time how much manna it took. If you put it in rail cars and hauled it on a freight train, that was a mighty long train that had to show up every morning just to feed them. And so they would say, then, well, maybe I don't believe it. I'm going to tell you, if it's in the Bible, I believe it. But here's what I find so interesting. God had a recipe for manna. It showed up every morning. He knew how to do it. In fact, I am convinced of this. God didn't have to look at the recipe book every morning to figure out what to put in it. I'll explain it this way. Back when my boys were teenagers, well, in fact, when I got married to my wife, she had her own brownie recipe, and it was heavenly. Whew. When my boys were teenagers, I can remember my wife making a pan of brownies when they'd come home from school, and in about five minutes, that pan would be gone because two 
hungry boys and one fat husband equals an empty pan. That's right. And there have been some nights when it was the third pan of brownies when she finally said the kitchen's closed. Now, in my house somewhere, there's an index card with that recipe. But she had made that recipe so many times. She didn't have to get it out to see how many cups of this and how many teaspoons of this and what ingredient to put in. She had made it enough. And you, some of you are the same way. You've cooked the same thing over and over. Forget the recipe book. You don't need it anymore. So if you think God, and if I had a mathematician here tonight, they'd figure it out. If he made manna six days a week for 40 years, you don't think he's forgot how to make it, do you? That's a whole lot of meals. And yet you'll never find in the Bible where God made manna again. I do read where Elijah walked out to Ahab and said, it's going to quit raining around here. And God sent him down to a little creek. Brook, the Bible says. And the Lord sent some ravens along with food and let him drink out of the brook, and that's how he ate. I wonder why the Lord didn't just put man in that little spot every morning for Elijah. It worked for 40 years for children of Israel. Why wouldn't it work for six months? The brook dried up, and the Lord sends him down. Well, if you don't think God's got a sense of humor, he sends him down... I heard this preached all my life, but it just hit me a while back how dangerous this was. He sends him down to a lady who is a widow woman and says, you're going to stay with her and her son. Whoa, we'd have kicked him out of the UPC. (laughs) Doesn't the Bible say avoid the very appearance of evil? I'm in the Bible. I'm also in the Bible. God told him, go down there and do that. And when he shows up, he said, what are you doing? She said, I'm making my last meal. And then me and my son are going to starve. He said, make me a cake first and then go make for you. And she did. And I hope you know the story. I'm not going to details. But he stayed there for the next three years. And every day there was meal in the barrel. And there was oil in the cruise because God supplied it. Why didn't he just put manna outside? Yeah. I'm going to bring you in the New Testament. He's got them sitting there and he's talking to them. Jesus does. There's a crowd out there. The Bible describes it this way. 5,000 men plus women and children. My guess is if you've got a woman for every man and two kids, that's 20,000 people. And he said, they're hungry. What have we got here? What can we feed them with? And they look around and they say, well, Lord, all we got is 200 penny worth. Uh, we can't feed that many with this. They were a little bit on the shy side. Don't tell them I said that. I don't care how much. If they'd had a billion dollars, I don't think there was a store in town that had enough food to feed 20,000 people. Hello. I'm just being honest. Well, what do we have? He said, well, we found a boy out here. He's got a basket and it's got five loaves of bread in it and two fish. That's plenty. Bring them up here. 
Now, I promise you with 200 penny worth, you could have bought more than five loaves and two fish. But that's all he desired. And the Bible said he blessed it and he broke it. And when they finished up, they had 12 baskets full. Now, it's a whole other message, but where did those other 11 baskets come from? I'm of the opinion there were 11 selfish families sitting out there that had a basket that weren't going to give it to anybody else. But one little boy said, what I got, I'll give it to Jesus. And he did one more time, the Bible said, 4,000 and break the fish and blessed it. I wish I had time to go in that, but that thing's timing me too fast. And that's the only two times he did that. Why didn't he just whop some man out again? He hadn't forgotten the recipe. I'm really trying to get somewhere. What we've got to understand is that we have a sovereign God. I can tell you as best as I can read in the Bible and the best I know out of my experience, God has never made manna again. And in fact, I can't read where he ever got ravens to bring food again. And only two times can I find where he breaks the fish and the bread and they hand it out. And he never did it again. But I can tell you God has miraculously fed people. I wasn't there. I wasn't born. But the story has been repeated and I've heard it. That when the, ancient, when the elders that came and tried to pick out a place for the first camp meeting to be held to buy, not the first one to be held, but a place where they could get a permanent place for camp meeting in Louisiana, they came to the very property where our camp is right now. And they were walking around it and they got hungry. And one of those men looked at the other and he said, we don't have a bit of food to eat. And he said, I'm hungry. So we better pray God sends us some food. And the other fellow looked at him and he said, well, if we're going to pray for food, let's ask for a steak. I like that guy. I forgot his name, but I like him. <laughs> and they seriously got down and prayed and said, Lord, we need some food. And a German shepherd dog came walking up carrying a bag with steaks in it and dropped it at their feet and walked off. True story. I've never heard of that happening before or since. What I'm trying to show you is I've got a God that says I know how to do it, but I'm sovereign and I'm going to do it my way and it doesn't matter how you figure it out. On my father's side, I'm fourth Generation Pentecostal. My grandpa was fresh in the church. Hadn't been in real long. I wish I had time to tell you that story, but I don't. And Brother Gwen was up teaching one night. That was their pastor. My grandpa felt inspired to give everything he had, which was not much because it was depression days. Sister Churchill knows who my grandma and grandpa were. And when he gave everything I had in the offering, my grandma looked at him and said, what are we going to do for food? They lived in St. Louis, Missouri. She said, you know, we have no food at home. 
and your paycheck doesn't show up until Friday. We have no money. You just gave it all away. That was before the days of credit cards. They didn't have any in a checking account. They had none in the savings. He said, God just told me to give it all. And the next morning before daylight, Grandpa was up praying and sincerely seeking God as he often did early of the morning. He was a man of prayer. And there came a knock on their door and a man was standing there with a huge box load of groceries. And he said, I don't know why I'm here, but he said, I felt impressed to come to this house with these groceries. Do y'all need any groceries? And when my grandma, <laughs> she opened, she said, oh, yes, sir. We have nothing left in this house. And my great-grandma who lived with them started shouting and spinning around that place because they had a God that had come through because my grandpa said, I'm giving it all. God said so. What he gave was less than what the box of groceries would have cost. But I remind you, God didn't put man in their backyard that day. Uh-uh. You see, and I'm talking to Kevin Cox as much as I'm talking to anybody. We put God in a corner way too much. We go telling God how we want Him to do it for us. Lord, I want my miracle just like this. God backs up and says, I'm going to do it my way. I can guarantee you that when Peter was put in that prison behind this door and behind that door and with guards all around him, he didn't know there was a prayer meeting going on across town. And he sure never figured that an angel was going to step into that prison and take him out of there. I guarantee you he was praying because he was just as much human as we are and asking God to deliver him out of that prison. But in his mind, I don't know, but I would think in my mind, I'd have been saying, Lord, impress the guy that runs this jail to let me go. But God said, I ain't going to do it that way this time. I'm just going to drop an angel in there, knock a few guards out. Well, wouldn't you have loved to have seen that? Oh, I know how you all think it happened. You think they just kind of waved their hand and they all went to sleep. Let me believe it my way. I think he walked up to the first one, said, hey, are you guarding that guy? Yeah, wham, boom, down he went. I know what you're thinking. Angels don't do that. Read about Jacob. See, we get in our mind, my miracle's going to be this way. But one of the things we've got to understand is we're going to have to trust God. And regardless of what else comes, I've got to trust God and let Him do it His way. I've heard Brother Welch talk about the camp meetings and the tent meetings that they'd set up. How the hundreds would come to the Lord. And I sat with him one day privately. I said, Brother Welch, do you miss those days? He said, not really. I said, why? He said, because we'd go into a town, a little village, 
And he said, literally, we'd pray that entire village through, but we didn't have enough sense to put a pastor in there to pastor them. We'd come by the next year, and there'd be half of them, three quarters of them, whatever, gone, backslid. Why? Because they weren't disciples. Thank you, Brother Sistrunk, for telling us this morning the value of a disciple. And I know some people, yet it wasn't very long ago, I drove through a little town and I saw a tent meeting up and I knew a man that lived in that town. I said, who's preaching that? Oh, he's down there trying to preach a little bit. I said, how big a crowd he's got? Nobody's much showing up. You say, why? Maybe it worked in that day, but it may not work in your day. I'm not trying to defeat anything that you've ever been told or said. But what I am trying to do is open up your mind to what God is getting ready to do for you in your community. You may have been doing it this way for a long time. And God's getting ready to just come in and just totally do it some way you never figured out how. I don't want to jump on Brother Showalter's story. But his son, Matt, is a licensed UPC preacher. And he's pastor in a Baptist church. And I'm thrilled about it. Say, what do you mean, Brother Cox? You can tell, ask the Showalters. They'll tell you more about it. But a guy put an ad on the radio said, we're needing a pastor. And Brother Matt Showalter, United Pentecostal Church pastor, answered the ad. And they elected him pastor. Why not? Why not? Just because God hadn't done it that way before, he can do it any way he gets ready. A little bit of town in Louisiana right on the Texas line called Vinton, Louisiana. Had a man with a burden, went there a couple years ago, took a church that had been there for a while, but the old pastor health had declined so much and the church was just really kind of, it was just about gone. That man came in there and started interjecting faith in those people. And that building filled up. They were looking to try to get property. We didn't, didn't know what they were going to do. They had a lady that had started attending church. I'm not making this up, folks. This is God's truth. And she liked what she was feeling. And the pastor was talking one night. We don't know what we're going to do. We're out of room. We're trying to find property. And that lady came to him after church. She said, sir, I'm the last remaining member at our church. I'm also the only board member of that church. And it's right down here on the main street of town. Church, Sunday school rooms that are stocked. A kitchen has all the dishes in it. It's yours. I'm signing it over to you. He called me up what I do. I said, go get a lawyer and get it in writing and do it. And now that church is the first United Pentecostal Church of Fenton, Louisiana. 
Why not? I'm just about done. You see, we get it in our mind. The only way we're going to get another church is get a piece of property and build it. God said, I got one down there. The air conditioners are already installed. No weight. I like getting on those lines where it says no waiting. Woo, yeah. Why worry about a year's time of building a new building when there's an empty one sitting down there and God can give it to you? I had a pastor call me that day. He said, I've got to talk to you in person. I can't say it over the phone. I thought it was going to be bad news, but when I got there, he told me this. He said, I just bought a painting. I can't say too much. I don't want to get him in trouble. And the fellow I bought it from didn't know what he had. But this guy got and researched what it was. Y'all ever heard of an auction house called Sotheby's? I may not even be saying it right. How you say it? Sotheby's. Thank you, Brother Aiden. Sotheby's. They don't sell tennis shoes that you wore out. They don't sell garage sale items. And he's been in contact with him. He said, Brother Cox, I need to know what to do with the money I'm fixing to get. Because they're telling me this painting at auction is going to bring more than one, not million, billion dollars. It's that rare. I said, you better pay your tithe first. (laughs) And I believe that. I wasn't just saying that funny. He thought because I used to be a CPA, I'd know how to invest money. I don't know about all that because I never had enough to worry about it. But I do know that when I get money, the first thing I want to do is pay tithe on it. And the next thing I want to do is give a big offering. Now that's good preaching whether you realize or not. But I've been asking God for a bunch of money because we got a lot that needs to be done on that campground. And I don't even know how to pronounce rightly what tithe is on more than a billion dollars. All I can do is tell you that's a whole big bunch of money. We'll be able to pay that campground. In gold probably, I don't know. You know, I've been telling God we need to strike all or something out there. God says, I know a guy that can go to a sale and buy a painting and it's worth billions of dollars. Why not do it God's way? I don't have a recipe for manna in my cookbook. There's some in there for gumbo and brownies and that kind of stuff, but not manna. Would you stand with me? I hope what I'm getting across to you tonight is let's just give God a chance. Let's just give God a chance and let Him do it His way.
Some of you came here to this camp meeting, this conference, searching for direction. I hope that what I'm saying right now, right now might be giving you direction. We don't ever understand the ways of God. The Bible says great is the mystery of godliness. Now I know it goes on to talk about being God manifest in the flesh. But I don't want to forget that part about great is the mystery of godliness. It's a mystery to me how God operates. I don't know why he'll heal one person and let the next one not be healed. But I've, done, I've already figured out that's not my business. That's God's business. I can't figure out why it seems like one guy standing over there is just getting blessed with all kind of prosperity and a faithful. You see, I, I went through this one time at district conference. Man that I used to pastor showed up. I said I used to pastor him. Because while I was, while my daddy was his pastor, not while I was his pastor, but while my daddy was his pastor, but I knew him. The man was a multi-millionaire. He was married to a prayer warrior deluxe, a wonderful woman, godly a woman as you'd ever want to meet. He divorced her. Got him a girl that was young enough to be his granddaughter. Went out in the world drinking and dancing and cutting up and all this mess. And I, I thought about his precious wife that so many times couldn't even make it to church because of the sickness that was in her body. And I did. you got to understand, Kevin Cox, sometimes I just tell him, I said, God, that's not fair. And I looked over and I saw that man sitting there getting ready for the start of men's conference. I'm sorry to tell you, but my spirit wasn't right. I said, God, that's not right. Because by that time, that precious prayer warrior lady was dead. I'm talking about a lady that I knew who was in touch with God. Oh, if I could just have time, I could tell you about how God would answer the prayers. That when she wasn't able to make it to church, she was at home touching God. I was upset. I said, God, I don't like that one bit. If I'd have been God, I'd have whapped him dead a long time before that. I'm just telling you, it's a good thing I'm not God. And the Lord spoke to me when I made that statement to him. Not out loud, but I knew it was God. You know the voice of God. And God said, I love him enough that I haven't let him die yet. I'm giving him another chance to repent. Now that's love. And I had to back up and begin to say, Lord, save his soul. I can't be mad at him if you're in that much in love with that man. And before he died, he made his way back to church. What a God. So I'm opening this altar right now. Some of you have been praying for something. Been praying a long time. Hadn't happened yet. Some of your cases, because some of you like me, you get to saying, yeah, Lord, you must love that other guy better than me because you hadn't answered mine. You've already done his. And if you'll admit it, you've thought it. I'm opening this altar for you tonight to just simply say, Lord, I've been asking for you to do it this way. But all I'm just saying, Lord, is I have a need. 
And I know you're a God. And you're going to supply it according to your riches and glory. I don't have a recipe for man of God. But I know that you know what's best for me. You're a sovereign God. And you're going to take care of it. God bless you. The Lord has spoken to us tonight and given us a promise. There are many needs in this building right now. Can't be exciting, but in a few days we're going to be going home and we're going to be facing those needs. Some of you need a church building. Some of you are meeting in storefronts. Some of you are meeting in high schools. You need a building. Some of you need a miracle in your life. Without working it out in your mind right now, I want you to stand on the promise of God and believe that God is going to provide that miracle for you when you go home. Reach out to Him right now and claim that promise in Jesus' name. Come on, let's reach out to Him right now. God is able, no matter what your need is, God is able to provide that need for you right now. There are family difficulties. There are financial needs. There are church needs. There are saint needs. But I want to tell you that God has spoken to us tonight. He's giving us a promise. He's giving you and He's giving me a promise tonight. I want us to claim it right now in Jesus' name. Reach out to Him. Receive His promise right now. Stand on it in Jesus' name. Know in your mind and in your heart. Have the faith to believe that God is able, and not only able, but He's going to move and He's going to work in His way, maybe a brand new way that you've never seen before. Just believe Him for it right now in Jesus' name. Thank you today. Lord, you've worked many miracles in my life, and I thank you for them. But you know my heart's cry. You know my burden. You know my need. I need a miracle in my family, God. I need a miracle. You're the only one that has the answer, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You're my heavenly Father, and I'm your child. Yes, Lord, in Jesus' name. 